Love the rowdiness. This is great. Um, I'm Joe, my name is Joe, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. Thanks. Uh, I, uh, I work with college and age and young adults, and uh, just kind of an update about that. We've been, we started the greenhouse almost a year ago, and we just are so excited about where things are at with that. So if you're in that college age, young adult category, or you kind of frame yourself there, we'd love to connect with you if we haven't already. Um, and uh, let's pray and we'll just dive in. Father, we're so thankful today that we get a chance to worship and be reminded of the truth of uh, the gospel and that we are, um, what you've done in our lives is you set us free or you want to set us free if we don't know you yet. We pray that today as uh, we look at your word, that you would teach us. God, we we think about um, the fact that there's a lot that we need to learn. And not only just our head, but our heart, we pray that you would help that eight inches of separation, there would be a connection that is made and that we would be doers, um, that we would be people who are active in obeying your word and um, by your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we bought our first home uh, almost 20 years ago and it was, it was a neat little house. And um, the clearest memory I have of that house was a battle that I was involved in with a vine that grew up on one of the sides of the house. Uh, it didn't start off in, in a really kind of uh, adversarial kind of manner. It, we had a, a decent cordial relationship to start with, but things kind of went sideways. I, I cut that vine at the, at the soil level to start with. And, um, and if you can imagine, it, it grew back. Anybody ever fight a vine before? Okay, so, it, um, so that first kind of attempt failed. And then I started to dig. And I, and I dug and I dug and I dug. I dug so much that I could basically stand in the hole. And you know, I was picking out little pieces of root, but I never got to the bottom of that root. And um, I poured, uh, you know, a, a Roundup brush killer on it. And, and I felt like, well, you know what? Maybe that was enough. And so I got out of the hole filled the soil back in, and I started thinking, you know what? I think I won. I I think I got victory. And then a little bit of time passed, and that vine showed up again, and it started to grow. And that's when the dark side of me started to to be kind of unveiled. I don't know if you have a dark side, but I would walk by that vine, and I would cuss at it. And, and And I would actually take, I took an ax to it, many times. And I'd walk by and I just, out of anger and vengeance, I would just chop it down. But it was all in vain. And this battle raged unsuccessful until one day I moved to a different city. (laughs) I never forgot how rooted that vine was. You couldn't get rid of it because of its roots. You'd cut it down, you'd dig it up, and it would come right back. And when it comes to our walk with God, That's the desire that I have for for my family, for my own life, and for you all. Is that that would be how rooted we would be in our faith. See, over the last couple of years, I've thought about uh, what it's going to take to follow Jesus for life. In my 20 years of serving in in ministry, I I primarily have worked with young people, and I've seen some really cool things happen. I've seen a lot of people faithfully follow Jesus with their lives, but I have seen some things that have been extremely painful where people have walked away from the faith. And I've been wrestling with this question, what does it take to be rooted and established so that we faithfully follow Jesus all the days of our lives? And so as you know, we've been working our way this, uh, through this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Thessalonica. 
over the past year. And we've seen some really cool things happen. We've seen a group of people who, because of the gospel, experienced a radical heart transformation. And what happened because of their embracing of the gospel is they experienced this major turning away from. They turned away from idol worship and and worshiping false gods to serving the, the true and living God, Jesus. And, um, and you know when you, when you throw a stone into a body of water, you get the initial splash, and then there's this ripple that goes out. Well, that happened with this church. The initial embracing of the gospel was a stone hitting in the water, and then the ripple that went out all over the place was the effect that this church had on the surrounding churches, and hundreds of miles around Thessalonica were impacted by what God was doing in this group of people. And as this young church was being established, they began to experience affliction and, and challenge and trial. We, we're not told exactly what that persecution was, but we do know from what Dr. Luke wrote in, the, in Acts 17 that the city would have been a difficult place to be a follower of Jesus, much like the direction we're headed as a culture. People, uh, Paul actually experienced this stuff in his life firsthand as he was chased out of town by an angry mob. And so as we've been making our way through this letter, the last section we looked at toward the end of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three, Paul has serious concerns for these young Christ followers. And his main concern for them is that they wouldn't throw in the towel on their newfound faith, but that they would become rooted. Chapter three, verse five, Paul's specific concern is that the tempter would have deceived them. And as a result, they would have left the faith. And so Paul sent his best worker, his best man, Timothy, kind of his right-hand wingman, to see how these people were doing. And today, we're going to hear back from Timothy a report of what was going on there in Thessalonica. And I'm going to share some thoughts of how we can be rooted in our faith. And so this is what we read, picking up in chapter 3, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. And what we see here is really, I think, the first thought. From based on what, what Timothy brought back, we see that this group of people was rooted. They were rooted. So Timothy, as he returns to Paul, he brings with him good news. And the Greek word there is the word evangelizo. And that word means to proclaim glad tidings. And it's the same word for the word gospel that we have in the New Testament. And so you can just picture that Timothy returns from his visit and him and Paul are catching up at Starbucks and they're sitting there and uh, Paul is just, just ecstatic over what he's hearing from Timothy. He's crawling out of his skin with excitement. For him, hearing that these young believers were continuing to follow Jesus was like hearing the good news of the gospel. You got to remember that Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. That was what he was going to be about. He said if if he was going to remain in the body, it would mean fruitful labor. So what he was about in his life was wanting to help people come to faith in Jesus and then helping those who came to faith grow up in their faith and be rooted. That's it. And so Paul, he was kind of like a spiritual father to these people. And like any dad, he was thrilled when his kids were doing well in life. And so he invested his life in them with this very desire in mind, that they would follow Jesus for the long haul. 
Now, if you look back at this passage, notice how Timothy describes the good news to Paul. He says that the good news was of their faith and love. Faith and love were markers to Timothy and Paul. They were kind of like uh, indicators that, that good things were happening in these people's like that, that, that a foundation was being established. Timothy didn't tell Paul that these people were faithful weekend house church attenders. You know, back then they had house churches. No, he said that they were something substantial about their lives. You could see fruit. And that fruit was this faith and love that was demonstrated in their lives. Now you hear that word faith and sometimes that seems a little hard to grasp. To me, a little, it's kind of a little fuzzy. And maybe it's because I grew up in a time frame when we had songs by like George Michael that said, you gotta have faith, faith, faith. And I was like, I have no idea what that's about. So I'm gonna try to make this a little less fuzzy. What does faith look like in someone's life? Well, we have an incredible description of what faith looks like in Hebrews chapter 11. We consider that kind of the hall of faith. And my definition of faith is it's a decision of the will to trust God and then do something as a result of trusting him. And if you were to look at Hebrews 11, what you'd see there is that the writer says that, that so-and-so lived by faith and then there's an action verb connected with the expression of their faith. So these people, if we go back to Thessalonica, these people were living out their faith in a way that was actionable. You could see it. Timmy watched it. He witnessed it. They had a living faith. And so as we think about our lives, and especially whether we're rooted, we got to ask ourselves this question. What about us? You know, if Timothy came to New Hope Church, would he see our faith? What are you doing that demonstrates that you trust God with your life? See, I don't think church attendance alone will put you in a place where you're gonna be a lifer for Jesus. Your faith needs to grow and develop roots. And the way that happens is through the watering and fertilizing of your faith. God invites you to join him in what he's doing. But then you have a choice, right? When you say yes to him, your faith begins to strengthen, especially as you experience him in your life. We just spent a, 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 the fall looking at this whole study called Experiencing God, and that was basically the gist of it. Because at this point, the Christian faith isn't something theoretical anymore. It's real, and it's alive. Now, when you read the New Testament, a lot of different times you'll see the different writers using this phrase, the knowledge of God. And that phrase to New Testament writers wasn't just a spouting off of religious sounding facts. It was an intimate walk with a real personal God revealed to us in Jesus. The knowledge of God rooted those early New Testament leaders. Many of them actually, as you may know, died for their faith. And they were so rooted that they gave up their lives rather than giving up their faith. Your knowledge of God, your experiential knowledge of who God is, as you step out and trust him, as you live by faith, that's a deep root that will anchor you to Jesus for life. Now there's a quote by an old dead guy named A.W. Tozer, and maybe you're familiar with this. It's one of my favorite quotes of all times. 
And it's super appropriate right here in the context of what we're talking about. Tozer said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And really what he's referring to is really our knowledge of God, our experiential knowledge of who God is. He says, for this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most important fact about any man is not what he at at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. And then he says this, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. And so I bet if we were to go back and study all those who decided to walk away from their faith, that there was a pivotal moment when they believed a lie about who God is. And that lie began to undercut or undermine their faith. Is God really good? A question that had been asked in Genesis 3. Is he good even when my affliction, when when affliction comes into my life? Is he good even when my goals and dreams don't play out the way that I want them to? See, that's what Paul was concerned with here because affliction is a testing of our faith. It reveals what's really there. It's easy to follow Jesus in the good times, but what happens when the hurricanes of life come? You lose a job, someone you love dies. Um, You don't get a promotion. Maybe you're struggling to start a family. Maybe you're still waiting for Prince Charming to show up. I think about the famous passage in, uh, in the Old Testament book of Job, where Job is like, I look all around me and I can't find God. And Job starts out that, that section of writing as he approaches God, he's, he's wrestling with bitter complaining. Many people start out well in the faith and that makes sense, right? The gospel is so good. But instead of allowing the gospel to go down deep into their lives and using the gospel as the lens through which we, we view life, They look at their life through a false lens. Maybe it's the American dream lens. I'm entitled to something because I'm American. Maybe it's the prosperity gospel lens, a false understanding of, of how God works in this world. Maybe it's the lens of comparison. And they look at their unbelieving friends and neighbors who it seems like everything in their world is going well. And when they look at their own life and they're trying to follow Jesus and things are going so badly. Maybe it's a social media lens where all you see are the highest highs in your friends' lives, which is obviously a false reality. See, the gospel is another one of those key foundation pieces to be a lifer for Jesus. And the deep gospel truth is that in God rescuing you through Jesus, that is the greatest good that will ever happen in your life. Even if nothing good happens with the rest of the days of your life, you are so blessed because of what Jesus has done for you. And so when Job looked all around him and he couldn't find God anywhere, and he was on the verge of, of cursing God, of turning away from God. He said this profound statement. He said, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. In other words, Job had an incredible 
picture of who God is. And he trusted that God was good and that he was working behind the scenes to mold Job into a different person, ultimately for his glory. And so Job could trust God even when the boils covered his skin and all he had to scratch them with was a broken piece of pottery to get some sort of relief. So Timothy, he shared with Paul about the Thessalonian believers' faith, but then he also talked about their love. And see, to Timothy and Paul, again, love was another essential part of faith in Jesus. Our faith, it's built on love. The love of God, for God so loved the world that he gave. We're told that the greatest commandment is to love Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said the whole law could be fulfilled in one phrase. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the greatest picture of love that the world will ever see is what's been demonstrated for us in the cross. And that's what we're commanded to imitate. And I believe that when Timothy talked about the love of these people, it was the sacrificial servant-hearted love that we see in the cross of Jesus. This is how Logos Bible Software defines Christian love. The Greek here is the word agape, which is the kind of love that God has for us. It's unconditional love. So this is the definition. It's a strong, non-sexual affection and regard for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges on another person's behalf. That's pretty heady. So I'm going to bring it down to kind of like maybe a lower shelf level here. In other words, I'm so for you that I am going to, I'm willing to, to put aside what I want for your good so that you can be blessed. And so Timothy saw this love being lived out in the life of these people. And they were, they, because they were imitating the God whom they serve. As we pick back up in verse seven, this is what Paul writes. He says, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. You know, so Paul, I mean, his life, it was like a, a, a constant train wreck. He had all these things going on. It was like, whenever you read about Paul's life and you think about how bad you have it, you, you should feel so good. And so in the middle of all of his affliction and distress, he's comforted by the way these people lived out their faith and love. And then verse eight says this, for now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. And so Paul just continues with this idea of being rooted. The Greek word for standing fast is the word steko. And it means to hold one's ground, to maintain a position, to be steadfast. That vine that I struggled with 20 years ago, that vine was steko. It held a position, it was steadfast, it was unmovable. Every time I read this verse, I resonate with what Paul says here. And I'll bet you do too, if you have spent any time investing your life in other people. There's, something, there's nothing as exciting as calling someone who you've had a chance to kind of influence some way, either for the sake of the gospel or helping them grow up in their faith, and then hearing uh, that they're doing well in their faith, that they're continuing to follow after Jesus. So I just think what we get to see here is a very human side of, of Paul's life. Paul was sold out for Jesus, but he was impacted 
by the same kinds of things that impact us. And he took the struggle that fellow, his fellow Christians experienced personally. You can flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says this, and apart from other things, and these other things again are all the beatings and persecutions and trials that he's gone through. He says, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He says, who is weak and I'm not weak. He felt that. Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant. And so the pastors here uh, uh, with me at New Hope, we feel the same way. When you're doing well and you are stecco, we live. But when you're struggling, we feel that with you. One of our highest goals, I think in all we do, is that we would help you to stand firm in your faith, to be rooted and as I was thinking about the, the greater context of what we're looking at here in, in this letter, and this is the benefit of actually kind of working systematically through a letter, is I think if you flip back one chapter, you would see another key element of what really grounded and rooted these people. These people had developed roots because of their commitment to the word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says this, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so when they heard the word of God taught, they got a tight grip around it and they never let go. The word of God became primary in their lives. It, it shaped and molded who they where it affected the way they thought. It, it influenced their worldview. When they had to choose between feelings and the facts of God's word, they chose the facts of God's word. It became their authority. And that is something, quite frankly, that I don't see all that often in the church today, especially as I'm relating to younger people. More and more in our culture, I'm seeing Christians who are biblically illiterate, and I don't mean that in a kind of a mean-spirited way at all. And I think that's a major reason why people walk away from the faith. They don't know God deeply because they don't know his word and what the Bible teaches about who he is. And so when the affliction comes, there's no foundation. There's nowhere to turn. Now, obviously, we take the word of God very seriously as a church. We would say that we rank ourselves under God's word. It's our authority. You know, it's something that we take a lot of time to prepare to teach. And there's a good reason for it. If you look at what the Bible says, it's pretty incredible. The word is, is alive and active. We see in one place in the New Testament. It's like a scalpel that God uses to come in and, and cut away areas in our life that he wants to transform. It's, a, it's useful, we're told, for training us. It's God-breathed. It's used for teaching, training, rebuking, correcting. And then it's also, it's a weapon that we can use to, to, in, in, this, in the spirit war that we're involved in. Paul tells us that it's the sword of the spirit is the word of God. But here's where the challenge comes into our lives. We're so entertained by modern technology and busied by other things that it's challenging for many of us to read this book and memorize it and meditate on it, to really get it into our lives, to allow it to affect the way that we think. The, the other day I, I went to buy groceries and I, I mean, this is kind of a confession. I can't remember the last time I went to a grocery store by myself. 
I, I don't even know if I've ever done that. Um, it's kind of humbling to say, but, uh, and so I'm in this grocery store and I'm looking around and like, uh, I don't know if uh, maybe this is just me or if you guys see this too, but I was like 80 to 90% of what's in this store is basically not that good for you. And, and so, um, you know, it's fun food, it's feel good food, it's comfort food, it's convenient food, but it doesn't have all that much nutritional value. And before I lose you with that comment, like if I offended you, you know, come talk to me afterward. Um, this is my point. It will always be easier to eat junk food than to choose good, healthy options. In other words, potato chips are always going to be more enjoyable than broccoli. Amen, Amen right? That's right. Don't, I'm, I'm gonna, don't want to lose you here. I got a point. Broccoli is, becomes good when you see the benefit of broccoli, when you train your appetite to love what's good. See, most of us, we trained ourselves to love the 80 to 90% of what's in the store that's really not all that helpful for us. And the same is really true when it comes to our spiritual development. Flipping through Instagram will always be easier than reading, memorizing, and meditating on God's word until you train yourself to love the word more than you love entertainment. And so the ancient practice of knowing the word of God is what you need so that you'll be rooted and established in your faith. And so here's what I do. I have a plan. And I, I'm not going to come off as someone that's holier than you. I, I read the Bible because I need the, the word in my life. And I will say that I don't always read it every day. But I do think that having a plan and a strategy is super important. And so this is what I'm doing this year. I'm reading the Bible through, uh, all the way through again. And what I'm doing is a little different. I'm actually listening to it and reading it at the same time on my phone. And so what I think is really important for you to hear is I don't think you should do that um, because I don't think what I'm doing is necessarily going to work for you. But I'm encouraging you to find something that works for you. Find some way to get God's word into your life on a, regular place, on a regular basis. And I'll tell you what, when you do that, you'll find that it's anything but boring. But there's a hump that you have to overcome. And I believe that hump is just having a plan and a strategy of how you're going to get this into your life. But it's so worth it. It's worth doing. And I believe it made all the difference for these people in Thessalonica. Let's keep going. Verse 9 and 10. I spent the majority of what I wanted to do on the first section. We're going to just touch on two thoughts and then we'll be done. Paul's, um, verse, I'm sorry, verse 9. Paul says this. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what's lacking in your faith. And so this is Paul's second thought that we see here, is we need others to walk alongside of us to help us be more deeply rooted. See, when Paul uses that phrase, supply what's lacking in your faith, I hear him saying that we have gaps. We have places in our faith where something is missing. We have a need for further growth. And a lot of times those gaps come from places of pain and hurt in our lives. We struggle with our view of God maybe because of a painful upbringing we've had. Or maybe we, because we've seen and been hurt by other Christians. Or a close friend's betrayal created some kind of insecurity in our, in our life. 
And so we project onto God the way that we have been hurt by people. We bring all of our woundedness into our walk with God. And that's why we need people like Paul to walk alongside of us. Now, good public teaching and preaching is essential, but so is life-on-life interaction with other Christians. And Paul knows that, and he gives us a very practical thought for coming alongside of another person and helping them be rooted. It's this, it's super simple. It's, It's just this, pray. Pray for the people you're close to. Pray for the people that you're involved with, that you are just, you know, doing life around with them. He gives two specific thoughts about prayer. The first is he looked for ways to give thanks for the people in his life. You can see that in the way he phrases verse nine. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? And so what I see Paul saying here is that he was very active in trying to look at someone's life and find a way to be thankful for something in their life. He took time to to do that and to kind of develop that practice with the people he was working with. And man, I thought if, if we did that, we'd have a different relationship with people. Now, it's easy to give thanks for the people you enjoy working with or the people you mesh with and, you know, with your personality, the people that are like you. But what about the more challenging individuals? You might not be the kind of person who naturally thinks about giving thanks, but when you can find even one area to give thanks for about a person, it really begins to change the way you think about them. Second thing he says here is he prays constantly for these people, looking for God's insight into how he can help them. He says that night and day he's praying that he'll get a chance to see the Thessalonian believers and supply what's lacking in their faith. He's praying for two specific things, for a chance to see them face to face, which makes sense, right? If you're gonna help somebody, it it, it often makes a big difference being with them to see what they really need And he's praying for the ability to fill in the gaps in their lives. He's asking God for insight. Now, I started to to pray more specifically for my kids over the last couple of years. And I've been been praying for them since they were born. But I wanted to be even more specific. And I I read a a book that just talked about prayer and it gave some some interesting thoughts. And so I started these practices. And one of them is you just take a note card and you write down just areas in, in your kids' life. It could actually, if you don't have kids, it could just be anybody that you're, uh, that's around you. Neighbors, friends, uh, people that you're reaching out to. And you write down just areas, that, gaps that you see in their life. And then you look and you think about what scripture speaks to that area. And you write that down there too. And you just have a, a way of putting it somewhere where you see it regularly. And you just pray for that, those people on a regular basis. And what has really been interesting for me is as I've been praying for my kids, sometimes I'll see God answer prayer and I'll just get a chance to kind of write that down and, 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 know, and it kind of builds my faith. And then the other time, there's other times that I kind of see like, man, I feel like God's speaking into my life as I'm praying for my kids. Like I need to change. Like I'm seeing something in their life that is in my life. They, they became that, they developed that habit because of me. And so it's, it's been really interesting um, to kind of walk down that road. But the bottom line is we need each other. We all have gaps. And we can be used by God to help fill in those gaps in each other's lives. And Paul, Paul's simple thought for us is to pray. And so the last section we're going to look at is this. Paul gives us a prayer that we could pray for each other and the people we're helping. Verse 11. He says this, Now may our God and Father himself 
and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the, the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with his saints. And Paul's final thought for us is this. Jesus is the one who roots us. Now, if you want to see where I get that from, look at verses 11 through 13, and you specifically how God is the focus of the activity. Verse 11, he's, Paul says, now may our God and Father himself direct. Verse 12, may the Lord make you increase, make you increase and abound in love. Verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. See, I think one of the most powerful and foundational thoughts about the work of God in our lives is this. God is the one who is doing the heavy lifting. He's the one who roots us and establishes us. And so at the end of the day, you might, you might seem like you're the one who's white knuckling your relationship with God. When the whole time, he's got you in his hand. There's a verse in the Old Testament that I love. It's Psalm 63, 8. And it's about David as he's in the wilderness of Judah. And he's, you know, David spent years on the run for his life. And so in this verse, he says, my soul clings to you. He feels like if he's not white knuckling it with God, he's going to lose him. And then he says, your right hand upholds me. And so you get this really clear picture that David's feeling insecure, but God has him in the right hand. And the right hand was the, the, the hand of power and it was the hand of honor. And so God's the one who initiated salvation with you. He's the one that sought you out. He's the one who rescued you. He justified you. And he's the one who's at work sanctifying you. He's the one who grafted you into his vine. And that vine is stecco. It's unmovable. It's unshakable. It's way more rooted than the vine that was on the side of my house back at that old house. So maybe all this is really new to you, but this is critical for all of us. The foundation of the Christian faith is the gospel. It's the truth that Jesus died on the cross to rescue you and me from our sin. And maybe you're in a spot where you've never responded to what Jesus has done for you. Maybe this is all new to you and, and you would like better clarity. Well, you could either talk to the person who brought you or you can come talk to me afterward. I'd love to help you make more sense out of this. We serve a God who's a pursuer. If you sense more of a movement of God in your life, it's because God's at work. He's drawing you to himself. He wants to reveal his gospel to you he, because he wants to make you his child, because he wants to lavish you with his love, because he wants to love you, because he wants to love you. Because he wants to love you. So if you've never come to Jesus and received him, responded to what he's done for you, I'd encourage you to do that. He wants to forgive you of your sin and be your savior. And he wants to lead you as your Lord. And when you do that, you become a child of God. And the gospel is huge in this discussion of being rooted. 
And that's really the most important aspect. It's allowing the gospel to grow and bear fruit in your life. It's continuing to trust in Jesus every day in much the same way you did when you first believed. I need Jesus as much today as I did 23 or 24 years ago when I became a Christian. As we learn more from God's word, we seek to obey and we submit our lives to Jesus. When we fail, notice I said when we fail, not if we fail. When we fail, we confess our sin and apply the gospel to our lives. We pray, we fast, we read, we meditate, we memorize, we spend time with other Christians, all to be connected to Jesus as the vine and continuing to focus on the gospel message. And as we continue to trust in Jesus for growth as a Christian, your roots sink down deeper and deeper. And you'll inevitably move in the direction of becoming more like him. And so as I close here, I just... If I had to kind of create a framework to help someone become rooted in Christ, it would contain these three ideas. The first one is holding tightly and accurately to who God is. Paul, the Thessalonian Christians, Job, all the New Testament writers. The knowledge of God is what held them firm regardless of what they were going through. Second thing, um, God's word is ultra important for our foundation. We need to read it, memorize it, meditate on it. And we do that not to impress God. God's not gonna be impressed if you read his word. He wants you to read his word so that you can be established. And so you can stay close to the truth of the gospel. And then the third thing is to think deeply about this message as often as you can. Find ways to remind yourself about the gospel throughout every, throughout every day. Develop a clear sense of how the gospel affects your life today as a Christian. Revel in it and never get over the wonder of the fact that the God of the universe came to rescue you and me from our sin. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful um, for your word. And as we've been sitting in this section of scripture, this, this letter, I see the same themes coming up over and over and over again. And in some ways, they're very simple, and yet in some ways, they're very profound. And so we pray for the, the power to apply your word to our life, that we would grow in our knowledge of God, that you would teach us more of who you are as we read your word, that we would find ways to plan and develop a strategy to, to get your word into our lives so that we can be connected to the gospel message and that we would just, you would remind us uh, daily, regularly, moment by moment, just about the blessing that we have because of Jesus in our lives. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, so thanks so much for being with us today. Um, it's a beautiful day. I don't know. I think uh, Michael was saying it was something like 71 when he got here. I like 71. I'm not all that excited about 90. But, you know, it seems like Michigan, it's either cold or hot. So have a great week.